Really, it's the actors who are going to kick up the biggest fight over AI because deep fakes really represent a threat to what they do. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, June 7th. Today, Eric Gardner joins me to talk about how artificial intelligence is a big sticking point in the Hollywood writer's strike negotiations, and also how AI might end up being a useful and profitable tool for actors and creators in the future. Eric and I also talk about AI's impact on the legal profession. Could ChatGPT be your own personal lawyer? And later, Bill Cohan stops by to discuss the latest intrigues and storylines coming out of Wall Street. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We talk a lot about AI and all its forms on the powers that be. I'm joined today by Eric Gardner to talk about some of the legal aspects of this, specifically for lawyers. Buckle up, attorneys who listen to the powers that be. We got a we got an episode for you. But also, you know, how this technology is playing out in the writer's strike, in the entertainment world. But Eric, you, you've written about this for Puck. Can you tell me about this AI startup called do not pay and what it's trying to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sure everyone has experimented with AI and seen its awesome capabilities. This company decided, hey, if AI could do all this, then maybe it can kind of like be your lawyer. It could uh, whisper sweet nothings in your ear when you go to court and you try to beat the, the, the traffic tickets. Or it could write briefs for you or get you out of fines or, or anything along those lines. So, so it was a service that was going to be marketed to those who want legal help. Uh-huh. You know, those who, you know, maybe are not relying on an expensive lawyer, but, you know, are, are going to be doing stuff on their own. And here is some, you know, technology assisted legal assistance for lay people. So have you used Do Not Pay yet <laughs> at all? I have not, but I will admit that that I'm a pretty good driver, so I have not <laughs> uh, had the misfortune of, uh, of being in traffic court of late. Uh, well, I have jury duty coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, shoot, I have to tell Ben and John Kelly about that. Sorry, guys. Um, so it seems like, look, on first glance, if you're like a tech hustler, this seems like a good get-rich-quick business idea, kind of replacing the uh, you know ambulance-chasing lawyers that advertise during your local sports game on TV. But they're being sued, right? 
They are. They are. You know, most states have this law against practicing law without a license. Otherwise, mm -hmm. anyone could be a lawyer. You wouldn't need to go to law school. You wouldn't need to be trained. You know, you could, you know, potentially represent people and, and get them in big trouble. So it's just like being a dentist. You know, you need a license to do that. You need a le license to practice medicine. Uh, same thing with law. And so what they're arguing is that the service do not pay is basically acting as, as an unlicensed lawyer. The, the people who are suing, interestingly, the, the firm of Edelson, they're not against AI, at least that's what they tell me. They, they say they actually use AI in their own practice. Uh, they have a, an AI bot who is kind of like known as like the uh, human resources chief, uh, the chief of happiness at the firm. And, you know, the, the chat bot helps them, you know, come up with good case law and it, it helps them do various things, but uh, they're pretty careful with the use of it. And they're not representing to clients that this is going to replace them. This is just going to be their assisted tool. Mm -hmm. It seems clear that AI, at least right now, can't be your lawyer and they can't tell you what to tell a cop if you get pulled over for a DUI necessarily. You can probably just find advice for that on Google, right? <laughs> but I did recall when thinking about this that Oracle, like the huge tech company, said they're going to slow hiring because of artificial intelligence. And they think that AI can replace certain HR functions, but also like write some like legal cover letters here and there. So it does feel like it can be helpful. This is playing out here in Los Angeles most acutely in the writer strike that is ongoing uh, between 5,000 writers here, working writers rather, and the big studios and streamers who don't want chat GPT or any AI tool to replace the act of a creative, to write dialogue, to write whole movie scripts, to write bits and pieces even of, of a TV show. What's the latest on that sticking point in negotiations right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that the artist community is pretty nervous. They're not exactly sure how the tool is going to be used in the future. And, and frankly, neither are the studios. Uh, they don't have any specific plans to use AI. If they had uh, specific plans to use AI, now would be a perfect time with all the writers on strike, you know? <laughs> It'd be the, yeah. the way to, to generate scripts. But what really is going on is a couple of things. Number one, the studios want to kind of preserve their latitude towards doing it in the future. Uh, they don't want to get into like esoteric fights about you know, like whether the you know uh whether you can use it to you know come up with a second version of a, of a script that gets turned in mm -hmm. into you but most of all you know there's a negotiation there's a lot of things that 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 are on the negotiating table and so they want to preserve this one as long as possible and maybe they'll give at some point the directors guild just came to it their own deal with the studios and the the deal was basically a one-line agreement where everyone agreed that ai is not a person and won't replace the work of their members what that means I have no idea. I don't know if, if they know what, what it means. I'm sure it has all sorts of implications, but really it's just a way to kind of kick the can down the road and let's you know figure out all the stuff in the future. I think basically this just all points to just a lot of nervousness about it. I think of anyone, really, it's the actors who are gonna kick up the biggest fight over AI because deep fakes really represent a threat to what they do. And we're, you know, also, at, we're at the first stage of this whole madness. Right now, I think everyone's in general agreement that AI is both amazing and scary, and no one knows how to use it exactly. But I think we're going to come to a day when some people 
love it and use it to their advantage and others hate it and you know see it as the worst thing in the world and it is going to split you know working communities you know if you're a famous person your ai represents something different than if you're a non-famous person and I think we're we're really at like stage one of all this, but uh, you know what we see in labor negotiations, what we see uh, in courts is just kind of representative of the moment we're in, where there's just you know anxiety about this whole situation. Do you think there's really anxiety that like deep fake Jennifer Lawrence or deep fake Chris Pratt would somehow like replace these brand name actors, or is it more about like? A deep fake could play like an extra behind the scenes. Like what, how would that even play out in film or TV? I, I think so. I think so. I, you know, not, in, not necessarily from Jennifer Lawrence herself, but uh, you know, if you think about it, Jennifer Lawrence can only like be at one place at one time, right? They, her, yeah. her earning capacity is restricted by her, her bandwidth, but now she can potentially license her image to every studio. And so everyone who wants to have Jennifer Lawrence in their film potentially can. And those positions could take acting work from other actors, you know, less famous ones. So it Mm. definitely uh, plays a part. You know, also actors are pretty sensitive about how they are positioned and and whether they're exploited. And, you know, while some studio, well, most, you know, kosher studios would presumably try to get licenses from the actors, there'll probably be, you know, others who don't. So you might Mm -hmm. think of like deep fake porn or something like that. So, you know, the the actors want to be very careful about what's on the books, what are the rules and everything like that, because, you know, they don't want some producer coming back and saying, you know, oh, this is free expression. It's protected by the First Amendment mm-hmm. and and you can't stop me if I want to, you know, create a deep fake. So, uh, you know, it's it's good. It's good that we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. Uh, it this saves a lot of uh, legal bills for the, for the future. And also, I mean, you told me about this late last year. James Earl Jones licensed his voice to be Darth Vader's voice in perpetuity, you know, after he dies, just so he he can, you know, his family can get royalties from his voice. And so maybe, you know, I'm thinking like Cameo, you know, the service where you can like request a celebrity to like make a video for you. Maybe there's a way where whoever's creating some kind of film, TV show, any sort of anything creative can maybe pay an actor to like use their AI likeness in whatever they're creating. And if the actor consents to that, that's a money-making opportunity. So yeah, that's a possibility I wasn't thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't want to foreclose, you know, these creative possibilities. I'm curious as the next person, what ChatGPT spits out when you ask it to create a new Shakespeare sonnet or something like that. You know, I want to see the result. I'm not worried about, you know, violating Shakespeare's likeness. Um, And so (laughs) I think we, you know, we both deserve the new technology, but we should also be careful and have the discussions about, you know, what the limits should be as well. All right, Eric. Thank you so much, buddy. Happy hump day. Happy to be with you in the flesh. (laughs) Thanks, man. When we come back, Bill Cohan is here with all the Wall Street buzz. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with uh, former banker and best-selling author Bill Cohan. Happy Wednesday, Bill. Hey, Ben. Great to be here with you, as always. All right, Bill, there are uh, too many things I want to talk to you about, so we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to do a, uh, a lightning round for the first time ever on the powers that be. Let's start off with Apple. Stock just hit an all-time high around the, the buzz surrounding their new mixed reality goggle headset. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the announcement of this device, but I'm curious what you made of it all. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I go back to what my friend Scott Galloway likes to say on the Pivot podcast, uh, anytime the subject of AR comes up or wearing goggles around uh, on your face, it's just not an attractive uh, look <laughs> and it is not, <laughs> it's uh, not appealing to, you know, any potential mates to be wearing uh, that on your face for any portion of the day. So I, I sort of uh, wonder about it. Uh, you know, it doesn't interest me. I think I tried it once uh, at a SALT conference uh, pre-pandemic, and literally I thought I, I was going to throw up because I was having, you know, sort of seasickness um, from, you know, and, and I'm sure it was a fairly crude version compared to the Apple. But, um, yeah, it, did, it didn't appeal to me. It doesn't appeal to me. And the price tag, Ben... That's a lot of money for something that is um, not going to enhance your appeal. Uh, One person on Twitter, which I really quite liked, uh, wrote, well, for $3,500, I hope there's $2,500 in cash inside the box. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was great. I saw some people on Twitter who had tried it saying that they were actually really impressed with the the software and the experience that the sort of the UX, you know, what you see in this heads up display is actually really impressive and seamless. It, it, it tracks your eyes. But yeah, Bill, I, I, I'm with you. I think at like a primal level, the headset is just kind of uncool. Like Apple definitely has a history of creating new consumer categories by taking something that, you know, maybe existed elsewhere and just doing it so much better that it becomes part of our daily lives. You know, they, they did that with the iPhone. They even did it with, with AirPods to a certain extent. I think ultimately they need to get the form factor down to something more like actual glasses um, and not these giant goggles. But um, Bill, let's turn to crypto. Big news there. Mm. Earlier this week, the SEC sued Binance and its CEO 
for allegedly mishandling customer funds, improperly functioning as an unregistered exchange, and breaking securities rules. Sounds bad. They apparently have a text from the company's compliance officer in 2018 where he says, quote, we are operating a fucking unlicensed security exchange in the USA, bro. (laughs) A little bit damning. And then on Tuesday, the SEC also sued Coinbase for basically running an unregistered securities exchange. Bill, curious what you make of all this. Is is the crypto industry sort of kaput for now as we know it? Well, I noticed that the value of Bitcoin has gone up this week and you know, I noticed it was up on Tuesday. This has always been the Wild West, uh, Ben. This has really, really, really been the Wild West. Uh, just a way for people to speculate, and people have speculated. You know, I think it's probably about time, probably past time, uh, for the SEC to step in and try to do its job and regulate this. I mean, frankly, it's taken longer than I thought, and they seem to be doing it through litigation as opposed to regulation, which I think is Coinbase's argument. And I think that's a legitimate one, given the experience of, uh, you know, what's happened at FTX, obviously, and any number of, you know, shit coins that have come and gone. I know the people, the Bitcoin fanatics, uh, you know, argue that it's different. And to some extent, um, you know, it is, there's certainly more of a story around it uh, than there is the other coins, uh, perhaps with the exception of, you know, Ethereum and Solana. Uh, But I I think it's time, Ben, it's time for uh, crypto and cryptocurrency exchanges to come into the uh, real world of regulated uh, securities, uh, because, you know, frankly, uh, too much money has been lost already by people speculating on it. And if it's going to be speculated on, if it's going to be gambled on, it's probably is a security. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know whether it's a security or not. I'm certainly not a securities attorney, but I do know that it's the Wild West. I do know that people have lost a lot of money, and I do know that uh, for whatever reason, it's taken Gary Gensler quite a while to uh, push through, quote-unquote, this regulation, which, of course, is actually uh, litigation as opposed to regulation. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer or a crypto expert either, although I don't see how these things are not securities. They're clearly financial instruments. They're clearly things people invest in in the hope that the value goes up and that they can trade and that they can stake for interest and all these different things. Bill, to your point, Coinbase did counter saying that, you know, they've been asking for clarity on the rules all along from the SEC. And it's the agency that had been dragging its feet that never explained what is security and what isn't. And I'm definitely sympathetic to that, too. I mean, you know, on the one hand, better late than never for Gary Gensler. But he also dropped the ball in waiting so long to take action here. He allowed this legal gray area to flourish. So, you know, no wonder Brian Armstrong is frustrated and people who have invested are frustrated. The government created this problem by by not acting and they had years. Yeah. And Gary, of course, one of the choices, one of the reasons for Gary to be head of the SEC was that, you know, he was extremely deeply steeped in cryptocurrencies, taught a course in it at MIT, and of course was a former CFTC uh, chairman and former Goldman Sachs partner. So, I mean, this, and, you know, was kind enough to uh, allow us to interview him for the documentary film I've been working on about crypto. So thank you, Gary. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, and I'm sure he's dealing with all sorts of political machinations and trying to get regulations out of the SEC. But, you know, come on. I mean, you know, that is their job. And again, they haven't 
gone the regulation route, they've gone the litigation route. And so, you know, I'm sort of sympathetic to Brian Armstrong. But on the other hand, you know, as you said, Ben, people gamble on these things. They uh, hope that they go up in value. They uh, they need to be regulated properly. And, you know, maybe in, in many ways they're worse than companies' securities because there's really nothing behind these things. It's pure speculation. And that's, you can argue that some securities of companies, whether equity or debt, are, are, are speculation. But, you know, at least there's filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. There's supposedly profit and loss statements, cash flow statements, balance sheets, disclosure. I mean, what's the disclosure on Dogecoin, Ben? Very little. Okay, Bill, final question for you. Uh, there was suddenly a ton of water cooler talk around Wall Street that, that just sort of cropped up out of nowhere about Jamie Dimon running for president. This speculation seems to resurface every four years. I think we can take it as a given that Jamie Dimon is not going to run for president. I, I don't know who his constituency is beyond his his fans and friends on Wall Street. But I'm curious what you make of the chatter itself. Is it just Bill Ackman who's been putting this out into the universe? Or you know, does this speak to a real desire on Wall Street for a different sort of democratic, business-friendly, centrist candidate? Yeah, well, I, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, Bill Ackman has been the chief perpetrator behind this. And, and can't say as I blame him. I mean, uh, it's really gotten beyond pathetic who our choices are for our leaders at this point who puts themselves up. And I really don't think people are the least bit excited about a Trump-Biden rematch. So I think, you know, to some extent, you know, good for Bill Ackman to kick off the speculation and the thought process and the quote-unquote debate about Jamie Dimon, but it's not going to happen. You know, there's no constituency for it. I mean, we saw what happened with Mike Bloomberg, who spent a billion dollars of his own money and got, you know, like five votes. So Jamie Dimon might get more. Or, or Tom Steyer, uh, who spent like 300 million of his own you know, money. I mean, exactly. I mean, so there's very little constituency. Now, you know, Jamie is much more uh, garrulous, uh, probably much better at retail politics than either of those guys. And I think, you know, probably would do pretty well. But what nomination is he going to get? I mean, I just think the progressives will, you know, kill him on the left. And there's no, I mean, he's not a Republican, so forget that. And, and then he'd be going up against, uh, you know, the incumbent president of his own party. I mean, he'll, he'll quickly begin to look like, you know, Bobby Kennedy Jr., which is not a place where you want to you wanna be. So I think Jamie's best bet is uh, appointed office, Ben, if he really wants to, you know, serve the country and, you know, uh, hope that he somehow gets appointed to be Treasury Secretary, which I think he would definitely want to do and would be very good at it and would be great for the country. But again, the politics of Jamie Dimon as Treasury Secretary don't make a lot of sense either right now. Yeah, well, J- Jamie's obviously been sort of egging this on a little bit too. You know, he keeps putting out these statements sure. saying, you know, I would lead if I was asked. Yeah, who wouldn't? You know, kind of kind of winking at the media. But uh, you, you think this is more about him getting a cabinet position at some point in the future? Well, I mean, I think, I think you know, I'm sure Bill Ackman, I think he even wrote that he did not run it by Jamie before he tweeted about it. And, you know, Bill, who has a equity stake in Twitter, which probably isn't worth very much, but, you know, is definitely gotten excited about using the platform uh, more and more, especially to push his political thoughts. 
But yeah, there's no question that every leader of Wall Street, you know, after they've made their pile and have been, uh, you know, CEO for a while, like Jamie coming into his 20th year, you know, would love to be Treasury Secretary. I mean, I'm sure he'd love to be president too, but I mean, unless he's appointed president, he's not going to get elected president, not in this political environment. Maybe in 2028, there's a chance, but his better chance, if, if this is what he really wants to do, is be appointed to something. Hey, maybe VP. Bill, we got to leave it there, but uh, thanks so much for coming on. We'll get some Apple goggles for the puck office and we can do our next chat in the uh, yeah. in the metaverse. And we, get, and we can uh, get barf bags too uh, while we're doing it. <laughs> In case that we need <laughs> another ringing endorsement for the Apple stock. All right. Thanks, Bill. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.